Hello everyone, welcome back to Tulsa Lately, your favorite locally based podcast. I'm your host Mike, and this time around we're going to be talking cigars. But not just any cigars, hand-rolled in Oklahoma cigars. That's right, this guy that I'm talking to, Tomas Baldonado, is the only manufacturer of hand-rolled cigars in Oklahoma. And he is just so incredibly driven and just super intense into what he does. And he's he's a super awesome guy. So without further ado, enjoy. All right, so I'm here at Ultimo Hand-Rolled Cigars with founder Tomas. Why don't you introduce yourself, Tomas? My name is Tomas Baldonado. I'm the uh, creator, owner, master blender, master roller, and everything above at uh, Ultimo LLC. Awesome. So you guys, all of the cigars you carry are hand-rolled. Correct. All hand-rolled. All hand-rolled right here in our shop uh, by hand. Awesome. How, where, where did you pick up that skill? Well, uh, back in the early 2000s, I was in the cigar business. I used to go to Central America, to Nicaragua, Honduras, and Dominican Republic, develop proprietary blends. But not Cuba, of course. You not Cuba, especially the back law, then. No, 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 especially back then. <laughs> and, uh, and we would import cigars as generic bundles, essentially. And so I would work with the factory, uh, tell them what kind of flavors, what type of tobaccos we would like to use. And then we would bring them in and sell them through our retail stores and wholesale and online. Cool. So... Let's 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 talk about you a little bit. What is what is your background other than other than cigars? Okay, so my background, uh, business-wise, uh, professionally, I did the cigar business. Um, really, I, I, I kind of stumbled into it. I used to work three jobs and then travel around the world and then come back and get three new jobs. I did that for a few years in my late teens, early twenties, and the cigar business kind of just happened to be a third job that I was looking for at the time. And I did that for about seven years, and then I went into the liquor business for the last 11 years. And most recently there, I created a wine company for Native American tribe, traveling all over the country selling wine. Uh, it was myself and two other gentlemen. We created this wine company for the Cedar Band of the Paiute Indians out of Utah, and we marketed specifically to, to uh, Native American tribes. And that's kind of where the business model to where I'm at uh, started its first iteration and then developed into what it is today. So basically, you've just been a man of class for the past couple of decades. Uh, Wine, cigars, <laughs> and everything? Uh, uh, I'll say a man of vices. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, now what brought you to start this store here? What brought you to Oklahoma in the first place? Well, uh, man? yeah, so we ended up in Oklahoma. My wife is from Norman originally, oh, okay. and uh, we were looking for somewhere to go because uh, things kind of went bad in the cigar industry previously. A gentleman I was in business with at the time uh, decided to kind of go a little crazy, and we had to flee in a way, and m my wife's grandmother was ill, so we decided Oklahoma would be a good place to kind of resettle ourselves. And um, so we ended up here in Tulsa, and, uh, you know, it, it's been an adjustment period and I, you know, I tried different things with the liquor industry, uh, different things within the community through art and stuff. I curated some art exhibits at the, uh, living arts gallery, uh, just finding, finding my, my niche, finding where I fit in the community. And, and I'm happy to say that I think I found where I fit with, with Ultimo and with the cigar industry here. When did, when did you open the store? Uh, the store itself opened in October of last year, in 2018. Um, the business uh, 
started working itself out essentially uh, in 2017, which is uh, my was my 10 year anniversary of being outside of the cigar business. Uh, after having left the cigar industry, I kind of told myself I would wait 10 years um, and then get back into it. And so in 2018, we finally opened. Huh, that's that's pretty interesting that you had left and then you know told yourself you're going to come back and actually did. I feel like a lot yeah. of people are kind of like, well, I'm going to set this aside, take a little break, but then they just sort of Well, I've o- I've always wanted to get back into the cigar industry. I love the uh the people in the industry. I love the the intellect that's involved in developing cigars. I love the agricultural aspect of it. Uh, it's it's truly a product that goes from from blue collar to white collar and everywhere in between. And uh, and that's what I love about it. You know, some people can intellectualize a cigar very heavily, uh, or it's very basic to where whether you like it or not. And so, everything that goes behind the scenes, the hundreds of pairs of hands that have to touch that tobacco from seed all the way till it gets to a finished product, is is a very unique thing, um, and it's a very unique industry. And so, I've always wanted to get back into the cigar industry. However, um, because the gentleman that I was in business with before. Uh, decided that he wanted to try to uh, pay somebody to kill his family, and uh, he kind of was was uh, actively searching for me, and things like that. Ooh. I kind of had to stay out of the cigar industry. So he was just, what did you know something or something? <laughs> well, no. Uh, so uh, the way the way that the, the business developed there was, uh, I started off. He had opened up a, a small. Uh, a second cigar store and then a third and he was just looking for somebody to run the register and uh, he actually didn't even want to hire me he told me that he'd rather hire an old white guy and mm. uh, and I said well why is that he says well an old white guy's got nowhere else to go but be a greeter at Walmart and I could pay him ten dollars an hour and he's not gonna steal from me well and so I guess at least you're honest yeah I, yeah I give him that you know <laughs> yes and so uh so at least I give him his he was bold enough to be honest yeah sure and, that, uh, and so I told him I'll tell you what I'll take two days off of my three jobs and work for you for free for two days if I don't like it I'll go away if you don't like me you send me packing you'll never see me again but if we come to an agreement I guarantee I'll help your business grow and so after the two days he asked me about it I gave him kind of a little bit of a pitch and he hired me on uh, one of my jobs at the time was working graveyards at a check cashing place overnight. And he says, well, I'm sure if they can trust you, then I can trust you. Well, and you uh, saw some interesting people working at that. Yeah, time. that was an interesting <laughs> job. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting time. And uh, yeah, so he hired me on. And within about a year, I was helping manage the business. Uh, about a, a year later, I was operating everything. He and his wife and his twins moved to La Jolla, California, left me in charge of the company. Uh, I saw a growth into a point where we had five retail stores. I did a build out on our flagship store, which was 2,500 square feet. And then we built another property in, uh, in, in this was all in Arizona. And then uh, I decided to build a website. So I taught myself programming with the help of a good friend of mine who now has an agency. They, uh, they have an agency called Awesome, A-O-S-O-M, and they help me with marketing and stuff now. Uh, nice. But a good friend of mine and I kind of sat there for about a year and developed and programmed uh, a website called TNTCigars.com. And that website, uh, we had a partnership agreement and uh, it didn't work out the way I anticipated. So I left and he had to move back with his family, run the business that he hadn't been part of uh, essentially for a couple of years at that point. 
and um, they things went wrong between them, and he decided he was going to pay somebody to off her and her family. And uh, all kinds of crazy stuff ensued, uh, and I had already left the business by that point. It was already about a year and a half or two years almost by the time I left. And I tried to start in the cigar business again with another family and another group in, in uh, Texas. And, he, of course, he found me there. And at that point, I realized I, there's no way I can be in the cigar industry while he is out there. Mm. So, uh, so after he was put in prison, um, I made sure uh, that he was put away pretty well and tucked in nicely. And then he sued me <laughs> for, oh. for $40 million. Uh, he oh. found me here in Oklahoma. And wow. uh, yeah, they, uh, he actively- From prison. From prison, his attorney found me. Oh. Uh, they filed a lawsuit against me for 10 counts of, or four counts of conspiring against him for conspiring uh, to commit first degree murder. <laughs> And so, conspiring to frame somebody for conspiring to do something. Oh, okay. So So you want so his so basically you wanted to take over his business. So you framed him for. You know, it was it was. I think it was more of a he he wanted to kind of find a way to defend himself, Ah, and so he needed to ah. find some sort of information that he can use in his own defense. And since I already knew everything about the business and I operated the business for several years. I think he felt he felt that maybe I had some information that can help him defend mm, himself. Okay. So if that lawsuit lasted three and a half years, and then I finally that must got have been it dropped. Very expensive. No, I, I fought the I fought the suit myself. Uh, it cost wow. me uh, very very little money, uh, less than two thousand dollars to fight the suit for two and a half years, and uh, and basically taught myself everything I needed to know to be able to defend myself in Arizona from Oklahoma. And uh, didn't, it's all mostly online stuff. So you just do everything yourself, basically. You roll your own cigars. Yeah. You defend your own legal cases. You make your own websites. Yeah, I pretty much do everything. I'm a one-man band. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. And so, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of how all that went down. And, uh, you know, 2017, I felt like my 10-year mark is here. I, f- I felt like it's safe enough at this point to, to ease myself back into the cigar industry and the whole business model was not what it is today. It was actually um, because I built this wine company for Native American tribe. I was traveling all over the country and, uh, and developing relationships with tribes to sell our wine. And here in Oklahoma, I mean, there's like 32 different tribes, over 100 gaming facilities, over 300 tribally owned smoke shops and things like that. So I was like, man, this is a kind of cool niche thing. So originally I was just going to roll cigars at casinos. And the state of Oklahoma gave me a tobacco retail license, and then they revoked it like a week later. And they said, no, nah, you, need, you need more than that. Hmm. But they didn't know what I needed. And so uh, they had to ask a boss, and the boss didn't know, so they had to ask another boss. And they eventually got to the director of the Oklahoma Tax Commission, and they just said, you just got to get all the licenses. I was like, uh, what do you mean all the licenses? They said all the licenses. So I have a tobacco retail license, a manufacturing license, a wholesale license, a distributing license, a tobacco vehicle permit. And then they said, before you get all that. vehicle permit. Yeah, for transporting tobacco for commercial use. Wow. And uh, and so before before I had to get all that, I needed to contact the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, which is federal, and get a federal manufacturing permit. And, uh, and of course, there's bonds and things associated with all of this. And uh, so I contacted them and they said, yeah, we'll do our background check and gave me all the requirements. And they said, we need drawings of your facility and your bonded areas. 
And I told them, well, I was just going to roll cigars at casinos like in the weekends and uh, for events. And they said, no, well, you need a commercial space. You need a actual venue that is your factory. That's so weird. So then I had to but. go out and find a location. And so uh, I called a few places and gentleman here, his name's Charlie, uh, who's my landlord. Great guy, says, I love your business idea. I think it's really cool. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of foot traffic in, in our plaza. And, uh, and I told him, well, um, I'm the only person doing this in Oklahoma. So I think that if people want to find me, they'll find me. I also wholesale and sell online. And so my business model uh, allowed for me to find a location where foot traffic isn't necessarily a huge an incentive. So the rent is pretty inexpensive. Hmm. Uh, and then I paid rent for eight months on an empty building while I waited for the permits to be approved. Oh, uh, n- not knowing whether it was going to be approved or not. But you had to have the lease as part of the application process. That <laughs> so it was like a wow. chicken before the egg type of thing. That is, that's quite a bit of red tape you had to jump through. Yeah, that yeah. Is, so, wow. uh, so after jumping through all those hoops, um, you know, I, I kept just analyzing the market, you know, analyzing the industry uh, in general, the cigar industry, as well as the Oklahoma market in Tulsa specifically. And, and I realized that in the cigar industry right now, uh, boutique brands are really driving the industry. You know, in the early 2000s uh, or late 90s, early 2000s, you had a big boom and then a big bust. You know, people in the 90s were wanting to smoke the most expensive, most recognizable brands in the market. You know, you had every celebrity smoking cigars and it was huge. And then in the early 2000s, you had a bust and, and the cigar industry was declining. And where we fit in when I was in that previous industry, uh, previous business, we fit in by developing premium cigars in generic bundles. So we would go to Central America, go to Nicaragua, go to Honduras, the Dominican Republic, have them develop a premium cigar, long filler, hand rolled quality product. But we didn't package it. We didn't go through distributors. We didn't have salespeople. We didn't have all the costs associated with other name brands. Okay, okay. And so we were able to sell the same similar quality at a fraction of the price. So the website was a means to be able to uh, educate the consumer that that brand and price doesn't necessarily dictate quality. And so that's kind of where we fit that, that market during that time. And I think that through that education and in the change in the industry, it's driven consumers to really focus on quality rather than than price and uh, and name branding. So so there's a lot of small boutique brands in the market that are really driving the market and uh, and people are seeking quality and value. And so that's when all these requirements were coming up. I kind of reassessed all of that. And thought that, uh, well, you can't get more boutique than some guy in the middle of nowhere, in, in the middle of the country, <laughs> making cigars in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's about as boutique as you get. Yeah. And, uh, and so I decided to kind of put some of my, put my knowledge and, and experience to use. And um, my blending knowledge uh, came in very handy to have a, a good baseline. And, uh, and having experienced the cigar rolling processes, um, I kind of had to spend the last two years retraining myself. And uh, I'd spent every night uh, for about a year and a half just rolling cigars at, at night while my family was asleep and, and perfecting the different techniques and perfecting everything and rehoning all my skill set that I had hmm. from, you know, over a decade ago. And, uh, and also incorporating 
my knowledge of, of the wine industry and the spirits industry and how things are done and how flavors are developed and, and how people's palate interact with different um, flavors and different ways to, get, to extract flavor. And so, uh, so I'm able to kind of bring a really unique uh, voice to the cigar industry that you really don't see often. Uh, a lot of in, a lot of people don't really pay as much attention to the anatomy of how you taste, um, you know, as much as they do in wine, for example. And so I'm bringing some of that uh, into my cigar development. Some of the enjoyment of the. Like, like you're talking with wine, mm-hmm. where you're sort of recognized in different parts of the palate. Okay. So I was going to ask, what goes into your selection with where you get the tobacco or the leaves? Like yeah. Where, where do you order? Do you order more from the same place? Do you have several different blends, kind of like with coffee or something? Yeah. So, so the way the, the, the industry operates now, and we kind of had a little bit of conversation earlier about how people can access information and access things at a, a totally different level these days than they had ever been before. Mm-hmm. So there are um, domestic importers that already import from other factories from around the world. And so that's what I do is I go through a couple of different direct domestic importers that, that uh, can source tobacco at, at, at a quantity that I don't have a demand for. And so then I can just kind of buy pieces of that. And so, uh, so for example, I'm able to get tobacco. My scissor tail blend, which is my flagship blend, consists of five different leaves from four different countries oh, in that wow. one blend. So you have Cameroon from Cameroon, Africa. You have uh, Dominican Cubano, which is Cuban seed grown in Dominican Republic. You have a Nicaraguan binder, an Ecuadorian shade grown wrapper. So hmm. you're representing Africa, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, and Nicaragua all in that one cigar. And Dominican is not just Dominican. It's Cuban seed grown in the Dominican. So okay. it's really okay. five countries essentially represented yeah. <laughs> in that blend. And uh, I have other blends that I'll be launching soon. I do that one also in a Maduro version, which uses a Connecticut broadleaf Maduro wrapper. Um, I'll be launching a cigar that I'm doing specifically with Dead Armadillo, the local brewery here. Yeah, yeah. And that cigar is designed specifically to pair with their amber beer. And so uh, I come, I approached them, say, hey, this is what I'm doing. If you ever need somebody to roll cigars for you. And they said, well, you know, we got investors who love smoking cigars. And uh, and they smoke cigars with some of our beers. And I said, man, well, let's, let's put a cigar together that actually is designed specifically to go with your beer. So we've been working on that. I worked on the blend for several months. I uh, went through very di- uh, various iterations. The, the beer itself is very citrusy and acidic. And so you kind of have to decide what type of pairing you're going to do. So for that one, I was doing a contrary pairing. So very similar to a steak and a Cabernet, where the steak really is heavy and coats your mouth and gives you a, a heavy mouthfeel. And then the Cabernet with the tannin comes in and cleans your palate and prepares your your palate for that next bite. And so that's kind of where I went with in terms of the beer and cigar pairing, where the beer is acidic, kind of like the tannin in the wine, okay, and uh, and citrusy. And then the, the cigar has to be heavy and bold and have a, a very uh, long-lasting aftertaste, like a lingering aftertaste to really coat your mouth and absorb some of the acidity in the beer and uh, and be able to hold up to the beer itself and not just wash away. So I went about setting, uh, setting up a, a, a 
baseline on that blend. And once I decided on my fillers, then I had to decide on a binder. So then I made several different iterations of that. And then I went and made another five iterations with different various wrappers. And so having good foundation of knowledge of what tobacco imparts what into a cigar. And then from there, narrowing it down through a process of elimination. So that particular cigar uh, had that lineage was about 10 different blends, essentially, to get to that one blend that works perfectly with that beer. All right. I, I, I am kind of curious, what are some of the unique characteristics of, say, tobacco that is grown in the Dominic, Dominican Republic or from Cameroon or like what? Yeah. What? qualities are you getting from each of those locations yeah so so each location like wine the soil content uh will help determine some of the qualities of of that particular leaf um you also have variation in the individual plant itself so in, in a plant you'll have different zones so you have a ligero which comes from the top of the plant you have viso in the center of the plant and you have seco in the bottom of the plant and really what that de- what that determines is the thickness of the leaf it determines the, the nicotine content that's retained in the leaf it determines the size of the leaf and so you use those different sections of the plant for different purposes within a cigar hmm. so cigar is made up of a piloto which is your ignition your igniter uh, so you use kind of a thinner leaf for that. And then you have a ligero, which gives you strength and body to your cigar. So you can determine what type of tobacco you want to use. That's going to give you more strength or less strength, depending on what the outcome you want the tobacco to be, the cigar itself. And then you use a viso or, an, or a seco, uh, which will give you some flavor and kind of fill in the mid palate of the cigar. And then you use a binder, and the binder is what holds the tobacco together, your fillers together, and then you can determine what binder you want to use because then that that will impart uh, a significant amount of flavor into the cigar. And then your wrapper is just your dressing. It gives it uh, a nice smooth look to it, but it also does add qualities of flavor. So you're going to determine, based on what country you're going to use, you're going to really find out what you want the cigar how you want the cigar to perform first and then okay. reverse engineer at least my process is all about reverse engineering i look at how i want the cigar to to to, um, to respond in terms of flavor and spice and strength and 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 sweetness and finish and then from there i say okay well this is what i'm looking for i want a little bit of sweetness on the finish so i'll add some cameroon Cameroon has a little bit of a sweetness on the finish, mm. and it's a thinner leaf also. So you have to then determine how much you want that to interf- interact with the flavors. So then you determine your ratios. And if I want it to be a stronger cigar um, with like kind of a little bit more nicotine, a little bit more boldness to it, then I'll use uh, tobacco from Nicaragua, for example, because uh, the tobacco in Nicaragua tends to be stronger than Dominican Republic or Honduras. Uh, based Mm, on their soil content. So then I'll possibly add a little bit of Nicaraguan tobacco. If I'm looking for something that's got a little bit more earthiness and uh, and, and a little bit more kind of almost dirt qualities, then I might look at some of the tobaccos from Mexico. And uh, and so it just, it varies based on what you're trying to fulfill in that cigar. And, And I go through that tasting process to see how it interacts with the palate. You know, where I'm filling the flavors, if it's spice at the front of my tongue, if it's uh, acid on the sides of my tongue, and things like that. So that all kind of just determines what the cigar is going to be. 
So for example, the one I'm developing for St. Patrick's Day, I use a candela wrapper. It's Ecuadorian candela, which is green tobacco. And it retains its green color because they do a, a quick high heat fermentation process, uh, to, or curing process rather. And so it keeps it green, but also retains a lot of the natural acid in that leaf. So it's very acidic and, and uh, very spicy. And so to blend that cigar, offset the kind of grassy flavors and spice and acids, you kind of have to blend some of that out by offsetting it with other qualities of other tobaccos and make it so that they all kind of work together and, and come, with a, come out with a very um, unique individualized flavor profile for that cigar. Nice. And you, I, man, I, that is so much more than I'd ever thought I'd learn about yeah. the intricacies <laughs> of cigar enjoyment. You know, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've gone into a cigar shop and, but I, I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't sure. know what I'm trying to get. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had, you know, just random things that have been recommended to me, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting, to getting into this now. Absolutely. So, but, but you aren't just, you aren't just hoarding all this knowledge to yourself. You have a class where you yeah. teach people how to roll cigars. Exactly. So why don't you go into that a little bit? So, uh, every month, the first week of the month, I do cigar rolling classes. We started in January. The first two classes were here at my shop. Uh, in February, we did a class at Willow's Family Ales and we did one at the Hunt Club. Uh, in March, we'll be at uh, Dos Bandidos downtown on March 1st, and then we're going to be on March 2nd at Oklahoma Distilling, OK Distilling, and for that one, we're doing a rum-infused cigar. And then in April, we'll be at uh, Dead Armadillo, and we'll be launching their cigar, and then we'll also be at Hunt Club again, and then we're working on May. So I've been I've been contacted by other uh, local businesses saying, hey, this is a cool, unique thing that doesn't exist, and we want to be kind of the first to, to participate in some of this stuff and see how we can interact with, with your customers and kind of make people aware of what you're doing too. And so it's really neat, uh, real cool opportunity for, for the consumer to come in, not just have a unique experience and gain knowledge about tobacco and tobacco blending and cigar, manuf- cigar making process, but also to experience what other businesses have to offer. So every class is a unique experience because you're, you're tasting, uh, whether it's at Dos Bandidos, we're going to do margaritas, or at, at uh, OK Distilling, you're going to be able to sample the spirits that they distill there. Um, you know, so you get to sample a lot of these things, and, and it makes a real cool, uh, cool opportunity to to try two new things at the same time. If you've never been to some of these places, uh, and if you have been to some of those places, it gives you an opportunity to kind of experience it in a different way. So it's it's really it's really neat. People tend to have a lot of fun uh, doing it. Uh, you know, like I say, even if you're not a smart a cigar smoker, it's it's a really cool thing to learn. Uh, be able to roll your own cigar, and then you also get a custom cigar band. So it'll say whatever you want on ah, the cigar band. Nice. Uh, so that way, it's your cigar. When you walk out, you know you you made that cigar, which is kind of cool. And so again, I mean, you've got a big advantage here because you are the only person in Oklahoma doing anything like this. Correct. Well, I'm the only person in the state that is licensed as a cigar manufacturer. Uh, Man. Yeah. So, so that's why it was so confusing for them to try to tell you what you needed, right? Because no one else correct. had really asked them to do exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. So like I said, my original business model was going to be rolling cigars at casinos, and then it kind of just evolved because the state just. Said so you got to get everything. You, we don't really know. We don't have a we don't have a system for somebody just to roll cigars for events. You're technically manufacturing, and so you need a manufacturing license, and you need all this stuff. So, so that's why my first cigar is called the Scissor Tail, okay. which is a Oklahoma State bird, of course. Right. And I wanted to commemorate the process 
that I had to go through uh, to get to where I am, and also as a ma- way Does to pay. Take eight months to roll. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and also to pay homage to the state that that kind of. Um, that forced me into developing my business model to where where I'm actually making my own cigars and my own factory and I anticipate hiring 10 people and being able to produce up to 1500 cigars per day in the, in my facility. You so. might be the first person I've ever heard of that has been incentivized to expand their business because of strict state licensing. Exactly. I don't think I've ever yeah. heard so. <laughs> Yeah, right. most so people will stop here. at a certain point. Exactly. And, uh, like, but you know, you I saw it as a challenge. You know? I saw it as a challenge. Uh, and then not only that, it's it's also a barrier to entry, you know, sure. in terms of comp- competition and things like that. Right. You know, I welcome competition. I I truly think it would be really cool if Tulsa was to become like the Tampa or Ebor city of the mid region of America, you know, the mid mid America yeah. region. Uh, you know, if, if somebody else decides they want to, Hey, I want to start a little factory and do my own blends. You know, I, I advise people all the time through social media, through web, through my website, people call me or email me saying, uh, you know, I would love to be able to get into doing something like you're doing. You're living my dream. What's the first step? And, and uh, I constantly share knowledge and, and, and um, you know, I'm not a selfish person and say, hey, you know, I don't, I'm not going to share that with you because then you're going to become my competition. It's, it's a matter of a rising tide lifts all boats. Sure. You know, and, and that's the way I see it. And if, if Tulsa ends up being this hub for premium hand rolled cigars of various flavors and, and variety, uh, I think that would be a, a just a really really cool thing. If anyone's gonna take us there, man, I feel like it's gonna be you. I uh, you might be one of the most driven and determined people that I've talked to. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So I that's that's another reason why you definitely don't have to worry about competition. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I try to set no the bar do high. No one's the legwork you're doing. Yeah, I try so. to set the bar high. But, um, man, I mean, other than your cigar rolling classes, you got any other events or anything coming up? Yeah, so, guys- yeah, we do all kinds of different fundraisers and events. So, for example, um, I did a school fundraiser yesterday, uh, or actually Saturday, rather. Um, I'll be doing a wedding next Saturday. A wedding? Uh, yeah. What so, do you do at a wedding? Uh, just roll cigars. I do huh. custom labels for the bride and groom. Oh, that's and cool. And the label will match the colors of the wedding. I'm getting married so, soon. I might have you come. Yeah, you let me know. We'll work <laughs> something right. out. And so I do a lot of things like that where I take my sh- my mobile shop, essentially, and set up and do cigar rolling events. Um, the, the cigar rolling class that we're doing for March at uh, on the 2nd at OK Distilling, that the money derived from that is actually going straight to an organization called Uplifted, which donates monies to teachers. So the teachers, based on need, can apply for like a scholarship at the end of the year, and then they'll get a check that they can use to help pay bills, help anything that they need money to go toward. And wow, so, awesome. uh, so I wanted to be able to contribute to that. And Hunter, the, o- the OK Distilling, the owner, he's actually on the board of that organization. And uh, so I thought, hey, you know what? This is a great opportunity to help teachers out. I think that there's uh, a lot of people who are eager to donate money to lesser causes uh, than the than the people who are actually teaching our children. So that's where that money is going to go to for that reason. All right. So liquor and cigars coming to save the kids. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, uh, it's been great talking to you. Um, really appreciate it. This is yeah. Yeah. This is a really cool thing you got going on. Thank you. Here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, but did you had anything to add? 
No, if anybody wants to check out the website, it's ultimocigars.com. You're on uh, Facebook too. I'm yeah? on Facebook at Ultimo Cigars, Instagram at Ultimo Cigars. I uh, sign up for the newsletter. I send out discounts for classes, discount, discounts for cigars. Uh, you can order online as well. And so, uh, so it's all about uh, the community and being part of the culture of Tulsa. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate you. And that wraps it up for this episode. Um, one thing I did want to mention, he actually told me as I was packing up my stuff, uh, he also built his own aging room. There's just this big walk-in wooden case that's that he built in his storefront. It's pretty cool. I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there. He really does do everything, I guess. So, um, But you can find him on Facebook, Ultimo Cigars, and then as well as his website is ultimocigars.com. Uh, that's where you can... You can pre-order his St. Patrick's Day special edition cigar that is going to be called the Irish Wolfhound. Um, it looks pretty cool. I saw one of them. I didn't get to try it yet. But. And, of course, uh, make sure to go back and listen to older episodes of Tulsa Lately. None of them are really uh, time-sensitive, I guess, other than the events they're plugging. So, got a lot of great content back there as well. But, I mean, I guess that's it. So... I'll see y'all around.